This is a LibriVox recording. All LibriVox recordings are in the public domain. For more information, or to volunteer, please visit LibriVox.org. Reading by Robin Cotter, Toronto, Ontario, November 2006. The Rosary by Florence L. Barclay. Chapter 17. Enter Nurse Rosemary. Nurse Rosemary Gray had arrived at Gleniche. When she and her box were deposited on the platform of the little wayside railway station, she felt she had indeed dropped from the clouds, leaving her own world and her own identity on some far distant planet. A motor waited outside the station, and she had a momentary fear lest she should receive deferential recognition from the chauffeur. But he was as solid and stolid as any other portion of the car, and paid no more attention to her than he did to her baggage. The one was a nurse, the other a box, both common nouns, and merely articles to be conveyed to Glenish according to orders. So he looked straight before him, presenting a sphinx-like profile beneath the peak of his leather cap, while a slow and solemn porter helped Jane and her luggage into the motor. When she had rewarded the porter with three pence, conscientiously endeavouring to live down to her box, the chauffeur moved foot and hand with the silent precision of a machine. They swung round into the open, and took the road for the hills. Up into the fragrant heather and grey rocks, miles of moor and sky and solitude, more than ever Jane felt as if she had dropped into another world, and so small an incident as the omission of the usual respectful salute of a servant gave her a delightful sense of success and security in her new role. She had often heard of Garth's old castle up in the north, an inheritance from his mother's family, but was hardly prepared for so much picturesque beauty or such stateliness of archway and entrance. As they wound up the hillside and the grey turrets came into view, with pine woods behind and above, she seemed to hear Garth's boyish voice under the cedar at Overdean, with its ring of buoyant enjoyment, saying, I should like you to see Castle Glenish. You would enjoy the view from the terrace, and the pine woods, and the moor. And then he had laughingly declared his intention of getting up a best party of his own, with the Duchess as chaperone, and she had promised to make one of it. And now he, the owner of all this loveliness, was blind and helpless, and she was entering the fair portals of Glenish, unknown to him unrecognized by any, as a nurse-secretary sort of person. Jane had said at Overdean, Yes, ask us, and see what happens. And now this was happening. What would happen next? Garth's man, Simpson, received her at the door, and again a possible danger was safely passed. He had entered Garth's service within the last three years, and evidently did not know her by sight. Jane stood looking round the old hall, in the leisurely way of one accustomed to arrive for the first time 
as guest at the country homes of her friends, noting the quaint, large fireplace and the shadowy antlers high up on the walls. Then she became aware that Simpson, already halfway up the wide oak staircase, was expecting the nurse to hurry after him. This she did, and was received at the top of the staircase by old Marjorie. It did not require the lawn kerchief, the black satin apron, and the lavender ribbons for Jane to recognize Garth's old Scotch nurse, housekeeper, and friend. One glance at the grave, kindly face, wrinkled and rosy, a beautiful combination of perfect health and advancing years, was enough. The shrewd, keen eyes, seeing quickly beneath the surface, were unmistakable. She conducted Jane to her room, talking all the time in a kindly effort to set her at ease, and to express a warm welcome with gentle dignity, not forgetting the cloud of sadness which hung over the house and rendered her presence necessary. She called her Nurse Gray, at the conclusion of every sentence, with an upward inflection and pretty rolling of the R's which charmed Jane. She longed to say, You old dear, how shall I enjoy being in the house with you? But remembered in time that a remark which would have been gratifying condescension on the part of the Honorable Jane Champion would be little short of impertinent familiarity from Nurse Rosemary Gray. So she followed meekly into the pretty room prepared for her, admired the chintz, answered questions about her night journey, admitted that she would be very glad of breakfast, but still more of a bath, if convenient. And now bath and breakfast were both over, and Jane was standing beside the window in her room, looking down at the wonderful view, and waiting until the local doctor should arrive and summon her to Garth's room. She had put on the freshest-looking and most business-like of her uniforms, a blue print gown, linen collar and cuffs, and a white apron with shoulder-straps and large pockets. She also wore the becoming cap belonging to one of the institutions to which she had once been for training. She did not intend wearing this later on, but just this morning she omitted no detail which could impress Dr. Mackenzie with her extremely professional appearance. She was painfully conscious that the severe simplicity of her dress tended rather to add to her height, notwithstanding her low-heeled ward shoes with their noiseless rubber soles. She could but hope Derrick would prove right as to the view Dr. Mackenzie would take. And then, far away in the distance, along the white ribbon of road, winding up from the valley, she saw a high gig trotting swiftly, one man in it, and a small groom seated behind. Her hour had come. Jane fell upon her knees, at the window, and prayed for strength, wisdom, and courage. She could realize absolutely nothing. She had thought so much, and so continuously, that all mental vision was out of focus, and had become a blur. Even his dear face had faded and was hidden from her when she frantically strove to recall it to her mental view. Only the actual fact remained clear, that in a few short minutes she would be taken to the room where he lay. 
she would see the face she had not seen since they stood together at the chancel step, the face from which the glad confidence slowly faded, a horror of chill disillusion taking its place. Anoint and cheer our soiled face with the abundance of thy grace. She would see that dear face, and he, sightless, would not see hers, but would be easily deluded into believing her to be someone else. The gig had turned the last bend of the road, and passed out of sight on its way to the front of the house. Jane rose and stood waiting. Suddenly she remembered two sentences of her conversation with Derrick. She had said, "'Shall I ever have the courage to carry it through?' And Derrick had answered earnestly, "'If you value your own eventual happiness and his, you will.' A tap came at her door. Jane walked across the room and opened it. Simpson stood on the threshold. "'Dr. Mackenzie is in the library, nurse,' he said, "'and wishes to see you there.' "'Then will you kindly take me to the library, Mr. Simpson?' said Nurse Rosemary Gray. End of chapter 17